the year was 1973. At that time, the United States government made the decision to discontinue the active draft of the military. Um, at that time, the United States, they'd been in the Vietnam War for about eight years. The war started very popular in our country, but by eight years into it, uh, people began to be tired of war. And so this idea of the draft began to tear the country apart. The draft had been in place for the previous 40 years and had been utilized in every major war that the United States had ever been involved in. But at that time, because of just the tension that was going on in the country, the government made the decision to discontinue the draft. Now, since then, in the last 50 years, occasionally this idea will pop up again and there will be a conversation again. Should we reinstitute the draft in our country? A country like Israel, for example, once you turn 18, every citizen in the country has to spend two years in the Israeli armed forces. And so some people make the argument, hey, if we had that here, perhaps we'd be more patriotic as a nation. And perhaps we'd better understand the cost, the price uh, of our freedom. But to this point, we haven't made the decision to reinstitute the draft. We're an all-volunteer armed forces. Now, all this kind of got me to thinking, uh, has the draft been discontinued in the church as well? No. If you've been adopted into the family of God, then you have a mission. If you've been called, then you've been sent. He doesn't just look around and say, okay, you can go, but you, you know, don't need to worry about the disciple making thing. That's not really for you. No, no, it's not just Jesus isn't looking around for volunteers saying, all right, who's willing? No, no, if you're in the family of God, you've been, you've been sent. So as we continue our uh, Defining a Disciple series, We've defined a disciple as one who worships Jesus daily, is consistently being changed by Jesus, and is increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. This morning, we want to zero in on that last phrase, the mission of Jesus, increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus. And we'll see how Jesus kind of calls and equips and sends his disciples, how he's really increasing their commitment to the mission that he's adopted them, called them into. And we'll see that uh, going to Matthew 10 this morning. Let's check it out. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. Matthew 10, verses 1 through 15. Matthew writes, And Jesus called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12, Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics, or sandals, or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. 
And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Now, to set this passage up for you, you need to understand that what's happening here in Matthew chapter 10 is an answer to prayer in Matthew chapter 9. What's been going on in Matthew chapter 9 is that Jesus, he's been traveling around the area of Capernaum, which is on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. He's been doing miracles there. Uh, He's been um, just ministering to people, doing all kinds of stuff. And as he's doing that, as he's kind of wrapping things up there, he's just looking out and he's seeing the people. And these are people that he knows their faces. He's interacted with them. He's ministered to them. He's heard their cries. And so he's seeing the people And his heart breaks for these people. He says they're harassed and they're helpless. They're like sheep without a shepherd. Now you understand, sheep are incredibly defenseless animals. Okay, they're in desperate need of a shepherd to protect them uh, because they're incredibly defenseless, they're incredibly needy. And so this is what he says the people are like. These people, they're, they're so needy. They're so defenseless. They've been so hurt. They're so helpless. And so his heart just breaks for these people. And so what Jesus does is he calls his disciples together. And he says, okay, you need to pray for these people. And can you imagine, okay, if you're just one of the disciples and Jesus calls you over and he begins to talk to you about these people and he's pointing to them and and he's telling you about them and you're hearing his heartbreak, right? You're seeing it on his face, how deeply he cares for them. You hear it in his voice as he speaks about them. And now he says, now you, you pray for them. Okay, you pray for them because the harvest is so plentiful. I mean, there's so many people and there's a desperate need for God's people to go and share truth to them and to, to minister to them. And so then the disciples, they pray. They pray for these people. Now, beforehand, they might have just been going through the motions, right? Not really think, hey, we're just following Jesus along. What he's doing is incredible. Wow, I mean, you see what Jesus is doing? But now at this point, he's reorienting them to see the people and to have their heart break for the people just like his heart is breaking for the people. And so Jesus sends them to these people after they've been praying for the people. And notice, Jesus didn't ask for volunteers. He doesn't look and say, okay, now that you've prayed, who wants to go, right? Yeah, it's all of them. Hey, you've all been sent. The very people that you've been praying for, now you're sent to. Matthew 9, you're praying for the people. Matthew 10, now you're sent to the people. Understand, when when your heart breaks for, for people, right? When you see the brokenness in your neighborhood or in the community or in your workplace or wherever, and your heart just hurts over that, and so you begin to pray for that, understand oftentimes Jesus is already doing something in your life, and he might use you to be the answer to your own prayer, right? He's going to answer your prayer through you because you're already inclined that way. Now, sometimes we think, hey, I'm praying, Jesus, because I want you to do something, right? I, I can do the impersonal thing of prayer, but Jesus, can you do the personal thing and just like make it better? And 
sometimes we think that way. What Jesus is doing in that prayer, he's already conditioning you in your heart so that you can be the answer to the very thing you're praying about. See, one of the ways you become more committed to the mission of Jesus is you begin by praying for the mission of Jesus. You become more committed to the mission of Jesus by praying for the mission of Jesus. This is what Jesus does for his disciples. He gets them to pray. That's where it starts. They're praying. And in their heart is now breaking for the harassed, the helpless, the defenseless, the needy. And so one of the questions that we need to ask is, hey, what breaks our heart? As we look around at our culture, our society, wherever the case may be, maybe it's a neighborhood, maybe it's a workplace thing, whatever, school, like what, what's breaking our heart? What are we praying for? Where do we want to see God show up? And then is there anything that you can do about it? Is there any like need that you can meet there? Um, I can guarantee you that because the disciples were praying for the people that they were sent to, they were much more inclined than to meet their needs. You know, if they hadn't been praying and they show up, you know, you're just not as in. You're not as invested. Uh, when I first went to Sierra Leone a number of years ago, uh, I was approached uh, by a guy. He wanted to meet with me and ask if I would come on the team as uh, like to help train pastors over there. Now, I was recommended to him by a friend. And when we first met, and he's talking to me about Sierra Leone, Africa, I probably could have told you that Sierra Leone was in Africa. But beyond that, I knew nothing about the country. I, I couldn't have told you where it was in Africa. I didn't really know how big or how small. I, I mean, I didn't know. It's not like my heart was particularly broken for Sierra Leone, Africa, Okay. I didn't really know much about it. And as I'm meeting with this guy, and he's telling me the need there, and he's giving me information, he's saying, just pray. Just pray for the people. Pray for what you'd be doing. And, and just see if, you know, God moves or not. And so I did. And so by the time I got boots on the ground there, about nine months later, I already been praying for nine months. You know, you pray for people for nine months, you're pretty invested by the time you get there. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're ready to go. You want to you see God do something, some, him show up. You know this is true in your own life, right? Maybe it's VBS, and you begin, and you're praying for the kids that are come, kind of come out and the people you're going to meet in the park and that kind of thing. And then by the time it happens, well, you're ready. You're, you're ready to go. Maybe it's people in your workplace. So you, you see their brokenness. You see their need, and you've just been praying for them. And so, hey, when you have opportunities, you're ready for a conversation. Maybe it's, maybe it's people in your neighborhood, whoever, whoever it may be, whoever God is inclining your heart to. That's just how he tends to work. By the way, it's the same thing when we came here, you know, and Steph and I, when we left Washington State and we moved, we moved out here, I didn't know, like, Hampton Roads. Like, I, I couldn't have told you if you were telling me, like, hey, you're going to go to the Hampton Road. I'm like, where's that? Is it, like, some ritzy place outside of Boston or something? I mean, I have no idea, right? I, I, I didn't know. But what happens? You begin to pray. You pray for the area. You pray for the people. And then you show, and your heart is already inclined. It was the same thing when we went to uh, Federal Way, Washington. I don't know anything about Federal Way, Washington, right? But you pray, and then your heart becomes inclined, and he does the same thing for all of us. And, you know, one of the things in this passage, it's important to notice here, did you notice all the disciples were, are named? It's one of the few places in the Gospels where every disciple is mentioned. You get the whole list of all 12 of them. I think one of the things that Matthew is doing here, he's underscoring the point that they're all sent, okay? It's not like Jesus is looking around saying, you know, Bartholomew, 
you're, you're just don't have the gift of disciple making. You know, maybe you can invest in the mission, but, you know, you, you need to stay back. Or, you know, Matthew, all your tax collecting stuff, I mean, how you treated the Jewish people, I mean, your history is pretty ugly. You, you, you just be excited that you're a disciple. You actually don't need to do much. Just be excited you're in. Okay? No, no, Jesus doesn't do that. He says, it doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your history. It doesn't matter your talent. It doesn't matter your ability. I'm going to equip you. So I'm sending all of you. You're all chosen. You're all drafted. I'm sending all of you. And they all go. Even Judas, who would betray him, he sent. Uh, Now, notice where he sends them. He doesn't send them to the whole world. You know, sometimes, I know in the church, we like to make a big deal of, hey, go make disciples of all nations. And yes, that is 100% true for the church universal. But he's not sent any one of us to the whole world. He always limits in scripture. You always see that he limits uh, their scope of who they can go to because none of us have the capacity to make disciples of all nations in and of ourselves. Like, I can't do that. You can't do that. But you can make disciples of someone somewhere. And sometimes we all we talk about is the whole world, the whole world, the whole world. What that can mean to us is you know what, those poor people in some third world country, maybe we can find a missionary who will go there, we can support them, and, you know, we're good. No, no, no. He's called you, he's planted you here for a reason. There's people here who you are to disciple. Sometimes the idea of the whole world can almost be a distraction. You notice what Jesus says here. He says, don't go to the Gentile cities. He says, don't go to the Samaritan cities. He says, here's what you're to do. You stay focused on the house of Israel. I want you to go to the hurting people in Israel. That's your focus. By the way, Acts 1.8, you get the the birth of the church is happening here. And what does he tell the church at that time? I want you to go first to Jerusalem. Don't think beyond Jerusalem at first, right? You go here. This is the scope. And as you multiply and you're making disciples, capacity increases. And then what happens? Then you can go to all Judea, the whole province, like the whole state, okay? Take it all on. And then after you continue to multiply and there's more disciples, capacity is even greater. Now what do you do? Now you can go to the neighboring province. Now you can enter Samaria and you can make disciples there. And after you've made disciples there, now what happens? Well, you've multiplied yourself, capacity increases. Now what can you focus on? the whole world. But it's not any one person who's doing it, right? That's the task of the universal church. And sometimes where we get a little confused, almost distracted, and then even neutralized as a local church is we can take on the responsibility of everyone everywhere. And we don't have the capacity for that. Like Central does not have the capacity to make disciples of all nations. Central doesn't. The universal church of Jesus Christ does. But when we try to take it all on, here's, here's what sometimes happens in local churches. Like, okay, well, here's what we need to do. We need to find one missionary at least who goes to like every country in the world. And then we can have the whole like map covered. Now, I, I don't know how many countries there are in the world, but if you were to try to do that, right? I mean, I know there's a lot. Uh, and if you support one missionary in every country in the world, like how well are you knowing any one of those missionaries? Like not very well. Could you name all their names? Highly doubt it. 
How often are you praying then for all of them? Never. So what does the involvement, what does the investment really amount to? A really small check, right? Because if you're paying that many, supporting that many, how, how invested can you really be? Not very. So it's a small check. It's very impersonal. You know nothing about what's going on, their ministry. So it's hard to really get behind. It's hard to promote it. And sometimes that's what happens in local churches because we take on the weight of everything. You know what Jesus does? In his time on earth, he focused on 12 guys, primarily. I mean, he went and he met people and he met needs, absolutely. But who did he really invest in a disciple? 12 guys. And out of those 12 guys, three. Okay? If you try to take it all on, you'll spread yourself too thin. You cannot do it. We can't do it. That's why we have ministry partners. Because we can't even do it all for the, like all of Hampton Roads. We can't make disciples of all of Hampton Roads. So sometimes people come into our building and they have needs, and we do not have capacity to meet every need out there. So what do we do? Well, sometimes we send them to Union Gospel Mission. Sometimes we send them right around the, the corner to Rescue Church. Sometimes, you know, we partner with Horizon Church because Horizon is doing some medical things that we don't have the capacity to do. But you have different partners that you partner with, and we bring people onto our campus because Notice also, Jesus doesn't just send them and say, okay, preach the gospel, share the gospel, and then you can go to the next person. No, there's that, right? There's definitely this proclamation, but it goes much deeper than that. It's also, hey, heal, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper. Like, you're meeting more than just spiritual needs. You meet physical needs. You meet emotional needs. You meet relational needs. You preach the whole gospel to the whole person because Jesus cares about every aspect of who we are. He doesn't just say, okay, as long as you got a relationship with me, good. That's all you need. Let's go to the next one. No, no. He cares about the hairs on our head. He says they're all numbered, right? God cares about every aspect of who we are. So as he sends us, his disciples, he says, meet the needs of the whole person. The spiritual needs, yes, absolutely. But understand this, as we talked about worship, all of life is spiritual, right? We, sometimes we have this idea there's a separation of the secular and the spiritual. No, no, no. All of life is an act of worship to God. All of life is spiritual, and sometimes we miss it. I was taking a, a, a youth group back when I was a youth pastor in Washington. We partnered, and we did mission trips to rural Montana. And so I'd take a team of about 100 uh, students and leaders, and we'd head off to rural Montana, and we, we went into three little, really small towns there. And, and we had seven-year uh, commitment partnership where we really invested in those little towns and, and just saw God do really incredible things. And in one of the towns that we were investing in, it was a town called Plains, Montana, a population of about 1,200 people. And in Plains, there was a high school girl who, she was just a lot of fun to be around. I mean, she just, you know, always a smile on her face, so much joy. Uh, she's just a great, great kid, and she jumped right into our team, and she was one of the ones that we were training and equipping to really lead everything, and, you know, she was taking the bull by the horns. She's creative. She loved it, and you could just see her come alive. It was super exciting. She graduated high school, and our plan really was, you know, to kind of give it to her. She was going to be the one who ran the VBS, and right after she graduated high school, she was on her way to um, check out a college that she was going to go to. She was hit by a drunk driver, and tragically, she was killed. And it was devastating. 
you know, because we had spent several years partnering with her, getting to know her. We loved her, you know, our team, our church, we loved her. And then obviously devastating for the small town who all knew her and loved her. And I was taking a team of students and leaders over to Plains, Montana for the funeral. And as we're driving over, everybody's trying to process it, right? Like, how, how could God allow this to happen? Uh, and, you know, she seemed like so full of life and had so much of her life in front of her. Like, how could God allow this to happen? And some of the teens are trying to make sense of it all. And they were saying, well, you know, this is just, it's God's plan. And really, this is a time of joy and a time of celebration because she is with the Lord. Now, understand, there is some truth to that, right? But on the other hand, understand, God cares about every aspect of who we are. And so when Lazarus dies, Jesus doesn't say, hey, let's just celebrate because Lazarus is with God. Like, this is great. No, no, no. He weeps because he understands the relational hurt. He understands, like, the life that's been lost, the effect of sin, how ugly it is. And so what it became was a teaching opportunity for me to try to instruct the students, hey, we weep. Like, there's a godly grieving that takes place. That the, the effect of sin that it's had and ended this girl's life is, is tragic, and it hurts, and it ought to hurt. And it's okay to hurt. And it's okay to cry. Because Jesus comforts those who are hurting. And we get to come, and, and part of what we're doing now is we're going to come around side and we're going we're gonna to weep with people. We're not just going to tell them, hey, this is great. She's with God. No, we're going to weep some. We're going to hurt. We're going to be thankful, yes, that she knows God, absolutely. We're going to be thankful for all that. We're going to praise God for her salvation. But we're still going to hurt because God cares about the whole person. And so he sends his disciples to care for the whole person. Sometimes we think, okay, if I have a relationship with Jesus, then nothing else really matters. It's quite the opposite, really. Because you have a relationship with Jesus, now everything else takes on all that more significance. Why? Because he's Lord of all. He cares about everything, every aspect of his creation. He cares about every detail of your life. He doesn't just say, okay, you're with me, good. No, no. He says, I, I care about your finances. I care about your relationships. I care about your marriage. I care about your parenting. I care about your diet. I care about your health, your exercise, your sleeping habits. I care about how you work, how you do your job. I care about how you are as a citizen and how you interact with your neighbors. I care about how you impact your community. I care about all of it. It's not like, okay, all that matters less. No, now all of it takes on way more significance because you see things through the lens of Jesus. And that's what he's doing for his disciples. As you go, see them the way I see them. Meet their needs, every need that they have. Not just spiritual. Yes, that's important. That's key. Don't go without proclaiming the good news. But meet every need that they have. Now, you hear this, and I know some of you are thinking, that sounds great, but I can't do that. Like, that's way outside of my comfort zone. That makes me, that makes me uneasy just kind of even thinking about it. That's, that's way too much. Now, understand, did you see how Jesus sent these guys? You see how he commissioned his disciples? 
you know, I imagine at first it's kind of exciting, right? He's getting them ready. Hey, let's pray. You're seeing this need. And now he's, now he's getting together in prayer. Okay, I'm going to send you off. And maybe there's some excitement going, oh man, we're going to get to do something here. And then did you see how he sends them? He says, okay, as you're going, I don't want you to go and try to like save up a bunch of money for this trip. Don't go and put gold or silver or copper in your belts. No, no. In fact, don't even take a bag for your journey. No money at all. And beyond that, I tell you what, don't even pack a change of clothes. Okay, just the shirt on your back. That's it. And don't even bother wearing sandals. You know, just go. And no staff either. Okay, that's it. And, and by the way, when you get there, there's no like accommodations, right? I haven't like reserved a hotel room for you or anything. You just try to meet someone, find a person of peace, stay at their home. That'll be good. That, that's how he sent them. Right? Who's signing up for that? Right? Who looks at that as, yeah, I'm in. No, that's everybody way outside of their comfort zone because no one on earth lives like that. Right? Nobody does these things. And this is what Jesus is calling them to. This is how he sends them. What's he doing? He's showing them, hey, you got to depend on me for everything. For all of life and ministry, you must depend on me. And so he's sending them completely dependent upon him. So they can never look and say, hey, aren't we awesome? Look what we accomplished here. Right? It's all glory to God. Sometimes in the church, we really value, one of our primary values can be safety, you know, and comfort zone. And hey, we're comfortable here, right? And so what do we do? Come to the building. Come here. We'll do all ministry here. Listen, we want people to come here, but I also want, and we want, we should all want people to go, right? Go to wherever God has called you to live, work, study, and play. Yes, come here, be equipped, be energized, be challenged. Uh, understand the word better, but then go and make disciples where he's called you to make disciples. And that's hard because that's messy and that's wild and that's, that's untamed, and it can be difficult, and it can be challenging, and you're, there's going to be times you want to throw in the towel. But you know what? It's also a ton of fun. It's also really cool, and it's really exciting when you just know, man, there's no way that could happen beside without God. I, mean, I, can, I can also tell you it, stories in Montana. One where, so we had wanted to give it to this young girl to take over VBS. Instead, the, the lady that we... Um, kind of pivoted to and equipped her to run the VBS for the town. Uh, she was in an abusive marriage. She was in her 40s. She felt like, you know, I got all this stuff at home, so I'm really like, you know, basically useless for God. But she was excited about him, but she didn't think she could do anything. But we saw her potential, love for the Lord, her love for kids, and, and so we poured into her. And she became the one who ended up running the VBS in that town. And the first time that I went there just to check on her and see how things were doing, and she was leading our team at this point. It was one of those where, hey, we've shown you what to do. Now you do it, and we'll kind of be there to hold your hand. And, and she's doing it, and I show up just to kind of see how the day is going. And she runs to me, gives me a hug, says, Steve, I never, ever imagined that God could use me like this. Never, ever would have dreamed it. And she's got tears running down her face, and she's so excited Right, because she's making an impact in people's lives, and she knows. And in and of myself, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Sometimes, you know, Francis Chan, if you're familiar with him, he, he, he uses this illustration where sometimes in the church, we like to 
create a wave. It's like going to um, Great Wolf Lodge or, or someplace like that where they have this wave simulator, you know, and you can grab like a, a boogie board and you can go on the wave simulator. And the wave's the same every time. I mean, you know when it's coming. As long as you can learn what to do, then you can ride the wave. It's, it's predictable. It's, it's the same. It's routine, really. And sometimes in the church, that's what we do, right? We, we kind of create this wave and we get really excited maybe on a, on a Sunday morning or something. Oh man, it feels so good. But but it fails to like live out in the rest of our lives. But if you were to go to the beach, right? And you go over to Virginia Beach, you got your boogie board and it's not just like, okay, I know right when the wave's coming. I know just how big it's gonna be. No, no, there's a wildness to it, right? There, there's an untamedness to it all where, where you learn to catch it and you learn the timing and, and sometimes you miss it and you fail and sometimes you flip over. And, you know, but that's kind of what makes it so exciting, right? It's kind of what makes it so invigorating is because it's not so predictable. The life of a disciple maker is not predictable. It's not comfortable. It is messy. It is difficult, but it's also a ton of fun. You know, I was talking with a guy this week and uh, a guy who I've kind of invited just to kind of speak into my life a little bit. He's a friend. His name's Bill. And, and Bill was telling me uh, as, as we're talking, he said, Steve, my prayer for you is that God would never have you in your comfort zone so that you would continually be dependent upon him. Do you have people in your life who are praying prayers like that for you? People in your life who are praying, that, man, just take, take you out of your comfort zone. Be totally dependent upon Jesus. The people in your life who are encouraging you and challenging you, you know, you become more committed to the mission of Jesus by stepping out of your comfort zone, you know? It's not when everything is safe. It's not when everything is smooth and easy. It's often in those difficult moments of life, in the challenging moments of life, and in, in the moments of life when, when you really do step out in faith and believe that, hey, God, even though I don't understand, I'm just going to trust. And then you see God work, and wow, faith is increased. Now, here's the thing. Jesus also, as he sends them out, he doesn't send them out alone. You see that? He sent them in pairs, right? Because as you go out into the wild, into the untamed, and, you know, and, and you're just inter, interacting with people in the everyday business of life, it's hard, and it is messy, and sometimes you are rejected, and, and sometimes you do feel like throwing in the towel because, you know, you're riding the wave, and you just get flipped over and beaten up. Oh, man, too much of that. I can't do it. And so you need somebody there who's going to encourage you and say, no, no. Pick up the board and go again. Let's try to get the next wave. Maybe those people rejected you. Let's go to the next town and see what happens, right? And then you also need that friend who comes alongside because, hey, it was successful. Man, this, this worked great. And you start to believe your own press. You know, it, it worked because I'm really talented. You know, it worked because I've got all this knowledge. Or, oh, man, I, you know, I, I re, I'm, I'm really getting the hang of this. I'm like a master disciple maker. No, no, you, you need a friend then to tell you, hey, don't believe your own press. It's not you. It's, it's all God. He's showing favor on you. He's showing blessing on you. But it's all him. It's all him. And so Jesus, he sends them out with somebody else. You become more committed to the mission of Jesus by partnering with other, other disciples where you're really invested in people's lives and they can speak to different aspects of your life and they know you well and they're praying for you and they're encouraging you and you're doing it together and you don't feel like you're alone. 
We, we need people. You know, the Christian life is not meant to be lived alone. It, we're adopted into a family for a reason. So, you know, I tell you all the time that who you are ought to determine what you do, not the other way around. Sometimes we define life by what we do. And so we think, okay, what we do then defines who we are. And it's completely reversed in the economy of God, okay? Who we are determines what we do, or at least it ought to. So this becomes critically important when you get to this idea of making disciples. Because sometimes we have this idea that disciple-making is one of the things that the church does. As if you could somehow remove disciple-making from the church, and then the church simply has one less thing to do. No, no, understand. If you remove disciple-making from the church, it's not like the church has one less thing to do. You no longer have church. It's part and parcel with who we are, right? We don't always live it correctly, uh, but it's part and parcel with who we are. God is always consistent, his actions with his identity, okay? Whatever God does, it's consistent with who he is. So God is love, therefore he demonstrates love. It's not, oh, God, God loves, so he must be loving. No, no, no. He is love, so he loves. He is just, so he enacts his justice. God is a disciple-making God, so disciple-making happens. It's the mission of Jesus, right? And he always lives that perfectly. It's always in complete alignment. We don't right? Sometimes our identity of who we are and our actions of what we do, they're not aligned, but it doesn't change our identity. You understand? For instance, I'm a dad, okay? I have three kids. Now, I could simply like not talk to my kids, right? I could uh, not provide anything for them, not have any kind of relationship with them. Would I still be a dad? Yes. Now, I know we can get to semantics. Well, no, you're not really a dad. You're, you're a father, but not a dad. All that. Wh- whatever, okay? It, it, do I still have three kids? Yes. It does not change. I can, I can live a lie and pretend I don't, but what am I doing? I'm living out a false identity at that point. You understand? We're all disciple makers. It's who we are. Jesus says, you are my witnesses. Jesus says, you are my ambassadors. Jesus says that you've been sent. He doesn't say like, hey, you're going to go and do witnessing things. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to represent me when you feel like it. No, no. He speaks to identity. And he says, this is who you are. Therefore, what you do naturally should follow. If it doesn't follow, it doesn't not make you a disciple maker. No, no. You're still a disciple maker. You're just living a false identity. Okay? You're living a lie. The challenge for all of us is like God, like Jesus, to live a life consistent that who, what we do matches who we are because what we do stems from who we are, not the other way around. And listen, the way it gets twisted and the way it goes the other way around is when the thinking turns like this. I've got to do disciple making so that 
Jesus will be pleased with me, and then I am a disciple maker. No, no. That is just contrary to the gospel. Jesus says, hey, you're already this before you've ever done anything, right? It's not your works that then make you saved. Jesus says, hey, you're mine. I've saved you. Now live a life that reflects who you already are. My prayer for all of us is that God would move us outside of our comfort zones, that we would be a people completely dependent upon Jesus Christ, that we would submit all of our lives to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We would become a people who worship him daily, who are consistently being changed by Jesus, and who are increasingly committed to the mission of Jesus, a mission that we don't volunteer for, but that he's called and equipped all of us to, and it really is the most exciting, best life you could possibly live. Easy? No, never. But totally worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you don't just look around and say, okay, who's really gifted? Who's really talented? Who really has a lot of knowledge? Okay, I'll pick you. But God, that you look at us uh, and you cover us in the righteousness of your son, Jesus. And so you equip us. You, you equip those who you've called. You don't, you don't just call the equipped. And God, you've called us to be your witnesses, to be ambassadors. May we live out with authenticity the reality of our identity. We understand that we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.